Let's do one more. This one's titled, I don't have enough good words. Exclamation point five stars. Amy Marie 18. So wonderful. Thank you guys for taking this on. That was good. That was good, Steve. So thanks for leaving that review. You guys, please, it would help us so much if you would leave a rating and or review wherever you listen to this podcast. Every sperm is sacred. Anyone know that song? Yes, Monty Python. Yeah, baby. I had that record when I was in high school and I was always afraid I was going to get in trouble for it. Is good. <laughs> Every sperm that's wasted, God gets quite irate. <laughs> is that that's really, really what it goes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It goes on and on. Those too. guys, the British, they're wild. Crazy. They're so much better at talking about sex, though. I agreed. It's, Europeans, it's man. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here we go. From Milieu Media Group. This is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality. For anyone who's curious or convinced, there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. Fun Parts! Okay, so in our last episode, we sort of ended up at a place where we were introducing this second pillar, beginning to really explore the second pillar that sex is good. We got there talking about our bodies really specifically. Where do we go from there, Becky? Well, I think we have to revert back to the episode that we were talking about, what does good actually mean? And good being the word tov in Hebrew and the element that has regenerative elements to it. And I think the reason why that's a pillar for me is that when I look at what sex has done, my own story holds both sexual abuse in it and sexual trauma that I had early on as a child. So my first sexual experience, I so often used to say, was trauma. And that's why I think that our history of our genitalia and our knowing our body, what I had was I had experiences with my body before I ever had abuse that didn't have language. Because I didn't have language when I was zero through too, you know, or I don't know when I talk, but when I did actually experience sexual abuse for the first time, my body experienced something that I believe is designed as good. I experienced it in a negative way. So it marked something in me that ultimately some of the work that I've had to do is in doing reclaiming. So what is good about sex? How is sex good? And so part of that is I can't do that if I don't look at the history of what I've actually carried in what I will say overall in like my sexual portfolio. So when I say sex is good, what I'm talking about, sex has the capacity to create beautiful, regenerative, life-giving moments. And I know each of us around this table have all had sex. So I can say, if you actually go into your mind right now and you recognize and you remember, where is a time, a place where I connected with another human being and it felt life-giving. It doesn't necessarily have to be just sexual intercourse. It can be like, where did I experience this life-giving moment of I felt connected to humanity? I felt connected and seen.
Yes, that can happen through the physicalness of sex and genital to genital, but it also is something that happens in an emotional way. And I think it's a lot of times when we've experienced something emotionally with another human being, we long for the physical. And so the physical, if it's coming out of this emotional connection, actually has the possibility of creating this regenerative life-giving element. So when I'm talking about sex is good as a pillar, is I'm talking about something that the physical engagement with another human being creates and where I'm in a safe, monogamous, trusting relationship where I actually get to experience being seen, being heard, being engaged with, and it creates more life in me and in the other. Can you talk about monogamous for a second? Because like, I'm just thinking about, do you think it's possible to have good sex maybe with someone that you aren't committed to, but like in that moment, you're like agreeing to have safe monogamous, if that makes sense. Like, do you think monogamy means like you're in a relationship for a long period of time? Do you think monogamy means marriage? I'm just curious. Um, I heard four different questions. Okay, great. Great. I do not think monogamous means just married. So I'm not saying just married. What I'm doing is I'm quoting studies that have been done that monogamous, safe, trusting relationships, sex between consenting adults and partners, Mm -hmm. the sex has healing impact on the physical body. Mm. So when I'm talking about monogamous, I'm not thinking like a one-night stand or a one-time thing because I'm thinking something where you're actually building something together, where you're gradually unfolding where you're gradually getting comfortable with one another, you're gradually starting to engage in vulnerable ways with one another. There's a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Transparency, man, I can just show you all my stuff and here I am, I'm comfortable being naked in front of you and here I am. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to be vulnerable. Mm. Because vulnerable is a level of where you're actually entering into an emotional engagement and also an emotional where I'm gonna, what moves you is gonna move me. And so I feel like I can say this to you, Steve, because we've been friends for a really long time. There is an emotional vulnerability that we share that there are times when I need to hear something from Steve Mm -hmm. and I'm in a great relationship with my husband, but I can't hear his voice right then, but I can hear Steve's voice. And I think that's a mutual thing that has happened over the years. And I want to say that's an incredibly rejuvenative element of a way in which we engage with one another. And it has deep elements of emotional intimacy, but it doesn't have the physical And so when I'm talking about sex, what I'm talking about, there's an element that I think too often we make it just a physical engagement. And I know I'm kind of stepping on dangerous ground here just a little bit. But what I'm trying to say is to have an emotional connection with someone doesn't necessarily mean that you then have an intimate sexual connection. Of course, it's friendship. Right. But I want to say so often what we do is if we have a sexual connection with someone, it doesn't necessarily mean we have an emotional connection Mm -hmm. with them. So when I'm talking about monogamous and you were asking that, when we are in a relationship where we can let down our walls and we can enter into an emotional level and a physical level, Mm. 
what happens is, and I'm saying that I think we're all spiritual, which we'll get to that third pillar later, but the reality is, is we're having an emotional, physical, and spiritual experience with another human being. Mm. And if it's creating more life, it's creating goodness. So why it's so important to make the distinction that you can have an emotional connection with somebody without having a physical connection is I think a lot of us think and I think some of what we've been taught in religion is that once you cross the finish line and get into where you're married, suddenly, automatically, the emotional, the physical, everything will fall into place. And that's not right. So your question when you ask me, do you think you can have, are you talking about marriage? No, I'm not talking about marriage. Mm -hmm. I think that that actually happens in many, many ways where people are experiencing things with one another in very deep emotional, physical, spiritual connection, and it, they may not be married. Mm -hmm. But the church has told us the only way you can actually experience that is inside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And I disagree. I disagree too. I'm but I want to say that I used to agree with that. Yeah, me too. And I, because that's what I was taught. But what being in relationship, in healthy relationships with, I want to say, um, even in my female or male relationships, what I'm finding, I can have these deep, intimate, mm. emotional connections mm. without the physical. Mm. And they bring deep life to yeah. me, deep healing life to me in huge ways. So my monogamous relationship with my partner who we're in a relationship with is there's one extra dimension to that mm. that creates a different kind of regenerative life. Mm -hmm. And that, so when I hear you say that a safe monogamous trusting relationship, mm -hmm. does that mean just in marriage? I'm, mm. I, if we make it just about marriage or if we make it just about the sexual act creating it, I think we're missing out on the opportunity to recognize the ways emotional connection is a deep healing element for us as human beings. Mm. And I think that's part of what God is inviting us into in relationship with God to be in this deep, regenerative, intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. And the only thing we have that can even possibly kind of mirror that is relationship with in friendships and then ultimately. Mm -hmm. So when I'm talking about sex is good, I am talking about something physical, but I'm also talking about something that's deeply emotional and we need to be able to make distinctions. Yeah. That's that kind of answer. Some no. Of that? Yeah. I was just curious when you said that, I just tuned into that. Yeah, and I mean, I think I would add to one of the reasons why I also disagree that the only kind of physical sexuality can happen within marriage is because we've all seen so many marriages, at least Christian marriages in the church, that they're having sex, but the sex is actually so abusive and damaging. Yeah. But somehow, because they're married, it's automatically good. And I don't agree with that, that mm -hmm. I think there can be abuse happening within a marriage sexually. So that's like proving the positive with the negative, you know, but mm -hmm. so therefore there also must be healthy expressions of sexuality outside of marriage. That's consensual, mm. maybe monogamous. And, and that's like immediately maybe some alarm bells are going off or freedom bells are going off. And that's mm -hmm. good. Mm. I would also add that, and I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Okay. But you guys danced around with the idea of what, what happens when you have a deep emotional connection with someone else? Mm -hmm. Is that a friendship? Is that a whatever? And I, I don't know, but I know that I've, I'm heterosexual and I know that I've had sexual experiences with women that are not physical and don't go there, mm -hmm. 
but that are bigger than friendship. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. where there is a connection, mm -hmm. a spark, even an energy. There are some of those times where it's like, oh, wait, I am sexually attracted to this person and I want to <laughs> do something about it and I'm not gonna. But there's another point. I had this recently where I was working with a, a woman. We were working on a project together and I noticed a spark, but I was aware enough of it that I honestly checked in with myself mm -hmm. and I said, okay, like, what is this? Is mm -hmm. this a physical sexual attraction or is it different? Is it like a sexual but not physical spark that happens sometimes that's maybe even good. And in this particular instance, I really think it was the latter. Mm -hmm. And I got to talk about that even with my wife and she understood it. Like, and I get it. Like this is nuancy big time. Yeah. But I think that's part of when we say sex is good, that's part of it too. I think mm -hmm. is that we don't have to be so afraid that we're going to fall into bed with each other yeah. just if we have some kind of spark. Well, I think about, I have many deep male friendships that I have deep emotional connections with that are not sexualized for me, but they're really healing for me. Yeah, mm -hmm. And I, I need healing and comfort in my male relationships because my relationship with my dad was very complex. And obviously my first marriage, that was really complex. And so it is the male friends I've had in my life that helped me be like, well, you know, they're not all bastards. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like yeah, it, yeah. they help keep me grounded and not man hating. They mm -hmm. they help keep me grounded and here are like good men that I don't want to be sexual with them, mm -hmm. but I feel connected to them deeply and they give me safety and that helps me understand what I desire in a sexual partner. I also mm -hmm. want a deep friendship and I know that those deep friendships are possible. Even when I think about my female friendships, like they're sensual and that like we cuddle, we hold hands, we braid each other's hair. Like mm -hmm. honestly, and this yeah. is very comforting for me and that brings me a lot of comfort. But even thinking about what we talked about last episode about finding comfort, I think sex is really good. And in the experiences I've had post-marriage after my divorce, it has brought so much healing into my life. And I, I have been learning that like, enthusiastic, sober consent has been the best avenue to get there with somebody that I trust and that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'm like, you know. Well, and I want to say that for me, the actual act of sex, I reserve for, you know, my partner. That right. I mean, right. that's just, I just do. And right. part of that is because we're building something together mm. and I want to continue to unfold and mm -hmm. explore and be aware of and be engaged with in a way that is, Honestly, quite frankly, I don't know that I'd have the energy to do that with more than one person. That would be exhausting. It would be exhausting yeah. for me. But yet I want to say it's not my partner's job to fill all those places for me. See, I love that. Thank you for going there. Yeah, yeah, because that's one of the things. And I think of, I mean, I have a girlfriend that when we travel together, you know, we'll walk down the street, arms wrapped around each other. And we have been mistaken for a lesbian couple yeah. before. And it's like, we're cool with it. That's okay. But it's, there's a physicalness that we all long for. The reality is I don't know what all my body needs unless I'm present to what my body needs in that moment. Mm. And to think that sex is just about a physical act is what frightens me a little bit because then it's, I mean, I love the book, 
11 Minutes, the Colombian author. I just love him. Coelho. Coelho. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's called 11 Minutes or 12 Minutes. And that's really about the average people spend on sex. And it's, I mean, it's this wonderful, beautiful book that he wrote. But one of the things that he says in that is so often we're so focused on the act, mm. we're not focused on the process. Ooh. And my husband and I were with some dear friends one time and we'd gone through this really hard moment with them. We walked all the way through it. It was really hard. It was beautiful. And then we like literally got in our car to go home and I was so hot and heavy. I couldn't keep my hands off my husband. And like we literally got home and we had absolutely amazing sex. And then we stopped and we went, okay, like what is it that happened there? Like why did that feel so necessary? And I think there was this element where we had poured out so much vulnerability with our friends as we were walking in and through some things. It was like it was intimate. It was caring. And our bodies needed to be reminded of our connection mm-hmm. in that moment. And I remember going back to our friends. A couple of days later, we saw them and we were just kind of processing with them a little bit. And we said something about, yeah, that was great. Love going through that with you guys. And some side comment was made. And I said, well, we went home and had great sex. <laughs> and the their comment was, is, we did two that night. Uh. And it was like something had to be worked out in this very hard conversation that we were doing that with our partners, but we were doing it all four of us were doing it together. And then from that came this deep hunger to be connected in a way that was life-giving to us mm. and restorative to us. And that's what I'm talking about good is it has life-giving elements. But I want to say I think it has to include consent, it has to include care, and it has to include something that is beyond just consumption of another human being. So for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, what are we supposed to do with the messaging that we've received our entire lives that essentially that sex is bad or that sex is good if and when it's treated in a particular way? Well, I think the message that, and I don't think it's just in the 70s and 80s and 90s. I think this has been going on for a long time. And this is the message. Sex is bad, 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 bad. Put on a wedding dress, get a ring, say a few vows, and then sex is good. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have, I think even somebody around the table, I can't remember who said, at the, you're going to have mind-blowing porn sex. If you wait, that's what, it's so interesting that we, that's what we say is you're going to have this mind-blowing sex. And I'm here to say that the, the first act of sex that you actually have is going to be your worst. Absolutely your worst. It would probably be your most memorable, Mm. but you don't learn how to play a concerto the first night. (laughs) You don't. It's fumbly. There's odd elements. There's body noises. There's fluids. There's this element of discomfort. Normally you have the lights off because you're terrified. I mean, your first night of sex is not your best. And yet there's an element here. We've told people that somehow, and I think this is a something that the purity movement was masterful at, is creating marriage as a trophy for a way in which we will then live the rest of our life getting to reap the benefits of. And we get to keep bringing that trophy out and wow. kind of, you know, it's like the Oscar. <laughs> I waited. I got it. I won. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, anyone who attended a Christian college, for example, you know, people are starting to get engaged. They're sophomores yeah. in college. They're maybe juniors. They're so, 20 yeah. years old. And they get engaged and they're going to get married that summer, you know, and they're going to spend their senior year in their apartment together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what that is, is just a couple 20 year olds who want to have permission to have sex, you know, and getting married. No, they want, to have permi they want to have permission for it to be condoned. For it to be condoned. By. Right. And to be right. Right. In the right place. So uh, to your question, Luke, is like sex is good if you're married. That's what we've been told. And that's what I was raised with. But the thing that I found, sex was actually pleasurable and I wasn't married. And that's what confused me. Sure. And we can say sex is not always good when you're married. No, I don't think that's <laughs> you know, a guarantee. So. I don't think that's, I don't think A plus B equals C. No. And I have more married couples that str they're struggling with their truck because nobody's given them a nap. I mean, they will spend weeks on communication and they'll spend on finances and all this. And like our priest that married us, we got 10 minutes. Yeah. About, so, I mean, we, we knew, I mean, we got 10 minutes from our priest about yeah. sex. I mean, I think what that ends up doing is ends up breeding resentment between partners. Yes. Like mm -hmm. people think they got gypped. Yes. You know, it was like a bait and switch or something. Yes. And, and part of it is because partners don't even know how to talk about sex with each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's so sad. Well, and the thing that we have to recognize is our biggest sex organ is our brain. Hmm. And so the brain doesn't make huge changes. If we have said sex is bad, sex right. is bad, sex is bad, we've got this dendrite going in our brain that's actually, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, but someday when I get married, it will be good. The brain doesn't suddenly just erase that. And a ring definitely doesn't erase that. The reality is our body, we've been training our body to live a certain way. And some of the things that are happening now that we know vaginismus where the vaginal walls literally close down and won't open or expand in order for a penis to actually enter or if a penis does it's very very painful mm -hmm. comes from emotional trauma yeah and i'm not trying to blame the church i think in the 90s the 80s and the 90s there was this huge rush of I think from the 60s and the 70s those people are growing up and they're having kids and they're like oh my gosh i don't want my kids to experience what i experienced well i think the swinging of the pendulum i think that a lot of times when we've experienced pain in one area what we want to do is we want to protect people and so i see the roots of where the purity movement came from there is this deep element that Deep down, we don't know what to do with freedom. We don't want this over here because that's actually creating all kinds of STIs and things like that. And we've got this whole generation that is just paying for what we did and what freedom is. And so what happens is we normally tend to pendulum swing the other way. But I want to say we're already dealing with, when we were talking about genitalia history, we're dealing with a Puritan history that we're all drawing from anyway. So there is this element of fear that I want to say in many ways that America was even born on of we've got to get away from what's actually happening. So we're going to go to this new country. So the element is we don't know how to have relation, honest conversation and relationship, I want to say within the church. And so along, I don't know what year it was in the 
80s or 90s when Joshua Harris came along and he had this, I just kissed dating goodbye. I kissed dating goodbye. Yeah. And what he offered was he was actually this vulnerable kid being honest about what was going on. And somebody went, we found the answer. Mm -hmm. We just cut everything off until we get married. And then suddenly it will just open everything up and we'll get to explore all this. But what they weren't taking into account was the body trains the brain and the brain trains the body. And ultimately what we do is we've got these set elements and you can't just suddenly change like that on a dime. You can't go back because you've been training your body, training your body, training your body to say no, 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 no. And part of it is we're training our body not to notice and engage with desire. Do not be sensuous. Do not be anything that's sexual you flee from. Instead of teaching people an engagement with, oh, this is what desire feels like. This is what sensuality feels like. I think that there's a better way to do it. Well, the other thing that's happening when we do that is that we're also shaping our theology. So like we're shaping the relationship with God as we perceive it Mm -hmm. in that when you kiss dating goodbye, but then you quote slip up and you even so much as kiss someone who you care about Mm -hmm. or things like true love waits where when, when love doesn't wait, then it must not be true love. You know, we're, we're shaping these ideas to where we suddenly start packing on all of this shame, this mm-hmm. baggage that we're going to carry with us forever mm-hmm. until we are able to lay it down. And that sort of informs, I think, the way that we perceive God as always mad at us. Mm-hmm. God is so disappointed in me all the time when God would never have us feel that, you know? Yes. I think how it shapes our theology as well, Luke, I love how you said that. Whenever there's something that we're going to try really hard not to do, we're going to typically find a way around that, you know, a rule. We're going to find that. So gene jamming, you know, we're going to gene jam. You know, honestly, Christian colleges, we're going to have anal sex because that's not. We're soaking. That we're so, I don't even know what, what that is. is. Soaking. So in the Mormon schools, they'll like, the penis will enter the vagina, and as long as there's no gyration movement. or movement and they just soak it, then they don't consider it sex. sex. And so, like, people were getting pregnant. Of course they of course. were. Right. Because there's yeah. pre-ejaculation. Soaking. Yeah. yeah. Not wild. But typically, when you're committed to a rule mm-hmm. and you don't really integrate it into a deeply held value, or something, like, I'm not going to kiss another girl until I marry her, or I'm not going to date, I'm just going to court. But then I think... When you start to unpack that, when you screw up or whatever, then there's no way around looking at God as if God's not disappointed with you. That's how that setup is. You know, if I follow the rules the right way, God will like me. I'll be rewarded. If I screw up and don't follow the rules, God will punish me and God will be disappointed with me. Or you like take abstinence so seriously that you void yourself of connection for much longer than you anticipated. Like I think of there are people who have like refrained from having sex their whole lives and there is a lot of pain around that. But then I also think of my gay friends who waited a very long time to come out of the closet and refrained from any type of relationship and said, well, I'm definitely gay. I don't want to date women, but I guess I'll just refrain from all sexual relationship or romantic relationship mm-hmm. and have felt like they came into the game really late and voided themselves of any sort of relational experience until Mm -hmm. midway through their lives. And that has created a ton of anger and resentment, Mm -hmm. understandably so. And that's where like theology, I mean, 
it's people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's not just ideas. Right. And, and I think about women that I know who have stayed in marriages where they're getting abused because their understanding of sex is just that they belong to their husband. Mm-hmm. There's like a property element, but they would never say it like that. But because like, of a certificate, they don't call it abuse. That's it's right. Actually, the certificate is the consent. Yes. The consent is Ooh. not a one-time thing. Consent it's is continual. every time you engage, yeah. there has to be consent. And enthusiastic consent. Like, I just think like there has been so much damage and we, theology is not just an idea. People right. are road mapping decisions they're making for their lives. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that this is being discussed, like the theology of sex mm-hmm. and that sex is good. Yeah. So in a Christian culture where we're told that if we wait, we're going to have this amazing sex, I'm curious, what is it that's actually setting us up? What is it that we're actually waiting for? And what is it that we expect it to be? I think we're expecting it to be fun. I think we're expecting it to be like mind blowing. I think we're expecting it to be insatiable, a romance story. See, but, for me, it was. But different when those things than that. don't happen, okay. it's disappointing. What were you going to say? For me, it was different than that. For me, it had nothing to do with how good the sex would be as far as the sensation of sex. Mm. It had everything to do with the idea that God would smile down on me. Yeah. It was ordained huh. and it was blessed and it was right. It was the tove kind of good. It was like not, it wasn't about anything temporary. Mm-hmm. It was like a sort of eternal goodness that I would experience. That your reward, you would be rewarded in a different way for all of that. And that I probably couldn't have put language to this in those days, but that the intimacy that I would share with my one partner ever, being her one partner ever, like part of the reward would be that there would never be the difficulty of having to know that we were sharing each other. Does that make any sense? Or have ever shared each other in the past. You'd have nothing. Okay. So that's where the term purity, I wonder in so many ways is because we talk about, is it in Hebrews where it says to keep the marriage bed undefiled or it's Hebrew James. I can't remember which one or struggle with the references, but there's an element to keep it undefiled. And therefore, if you have an undefiled marriage bed, you're not going to have all the issues that everybody else has. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And conversely, if you do have sex with someone before you're married and so does she, so does he. And then you come together and try to have sex together and you will, you're ruined. You're screwed. You, because you there's will, comparison yeah, and there's always the, there's the emotional of, baggage of having to have the conversation. I mean, that was part of the threat to me as a high school kid was always like, well, just know that if you have sex, you're going to have to tell your wife about this someday. You're going to have to tell her all that you've done. And it was that fear of like, not even just the fear of like consequences, but the fear of like, well, I know she will be the person I love most in the world and I would never want to hurt her with my actions now. And there's some truth to that. There is some truth to that. I don't, I don't mean to truth. say that that carries no weight or should carry no weight, but for that to be a device that's meant to create fear for the sole purpose of abstinence for abstinence's sake, that is damage. That, yeah, that is damaging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's creating a false hope with a false expectation. Then you get into the reality of it and you have to try and unpack it and go, well, wait, 
nobody taught me about vulnerability with another human. Nobody taught me about what intimacy really is. And one of the things that if we practice driving a car to learn how to drive a car, right? And I'm not saying that we just suddenly go out and we start practicing having sex, but when we shut ourselves down emotionally, we've emotionally atrophied ourselves. I mean, that doesn't just like wake up suddenly because we have that one special other. And that's where some of the heartbreak that we experience early on in our teenage years, those are real brain creating Mm -hmm. elements that Mm -hmm. are really important that you help children go through, teenagers go through. They need to experience heartbreak in a way where they have safe people around them, adults that can come around them and honor that and help them to understand that they're going to move through this and they're going to grow from that. And I think that that's one of the things that when we say that sex is bad, 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 bad until you get married and suddenly it's good, we're putting so much weight on a physical act and we aren't helping people be prepared for the emotional engagement. And that's where we need to help people recognize how do you actually emotionally engage with someone before you just sexually engage with yes. them? Because one of the things that, I mean, oral sex was a huge element and people didn't think they could get STIs from oral sex. Yeah. You actually can. And what happened is it became a form of being in or out of the in or out group. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know is oral sex at the core is one of the most vulnerable sexes you will ever have. For sure. Because one person is receiving and one person is giving. It's not both and. It is one. And so there's a difference between consumptive sex and communion sex. We're going to all engage in both. We all are. But it's like there's a difference in the quality where I will say good is when you actually grow in your intimacy and you get to this place where you're like, I want to just give you something. That is a different way of being with another human being than trying to just get something. And I want to say that for the most part, even if it was well-intentioned, purity culture essentially used consumptive language and values to try to promise communion. I mean, really. That's so good. And what I mean by that is like, I have a friend who, same thing, grew up, but had sex pretty young at maybe 16. And he just figured, I'm done then. So I'm going to have a whole lot of sex Mm -hmm. now because... I mean... What's the point? Like one is just as bad as... Yeah. yeah, One is just as bad as a hundred. And that reveals, that exposes the consumptive version of what that whole movement tried to teach. So like what I wonder is, let's say someone's listening who's still at the beginning of starting to unpack that I got the purity culture messages. I look at my body as if it's my enemy. I don't know what to do. What, how do you even start to talk to them, Becky, about how to move forward to more wholeness? The first thing I would do is I'd sit down and I'd say, tell me your story. I want to hear your story. And are people honest when they do? Like, oh do my they gosh. fumble? The people are, they, say it. they will say, this is what I believed. This is what I did. And a lot of people still have their cards. Their V cards. No, I'm not, I'm t- not V card. No, they have their actual purity card that they sign. Oh, or wow. their ring, their purity ring. Or they have their purity ring. And I've had people that have actually brought them in and I've asked questions like, what is it that you want to let go of? So they in, bring in their cards. They'll bring, they bring them in. Their in. Rings. What do you want to let go of so that you can actually embrace all of you and not feel cut off 
from this part of you. Because what they feel, people have said this repeatedly, I feel like I gave the church something that wasn't theirs. Let me ask this question. Do you ever encounter someone who's afraid? If I do this, I'm going to lose my faith. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is a slippery slope mm-hmm. toward I am done. I mean, if I make this choice and I want to, and I, I'm done. Well, I want to say most of the people that are now talking about the purity movement have either been married or are married because there's, I don't think there's really a big purity movement anymore. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. They're not doing that anymore, right? I think it's still happening I just too, with, with yeah. different names and different ways. I okay, absolutely different think ways. it's still happening. Okay, well, yeah. I mean, but they're not doing the march on Washington where everybody puts the stake in the ground. And, I don't think so. I don't. I, I, honestly, okay. not trying to keep up with it, but maybe I, I should I look into it. <laughs> well, I think, okay, maybe the, okay, fact check, I probably should check yeah. that I have March on Washington. Yeah, I remember. Like, really? I remember that. Yeah, and then Pro- they, they, protesting they, sex. <laughs> well, basically, basically they're all pledging. Sex. They're all pledging. To, they're pledging. Do they march the, the to wait for marriage? That is the no. That yeah. They, they right <laughs> the Washington Monument. The Washington that's Monument, where they the they all pledge their cards. Where they see you at the pole is right. <laughs> that's <laughs> sure. I think it that's is. what it is. See you at the pole. Meet you at the pole. See you at the pole. That has I a wish. whole new meaning. It's amazing. I've been waiting for the pole my whole life. But here's one of the things that I think every story deserve space yeah and i can't tell you how many of those stories i've heard and they all bring me to the place where i stand because i'm a pastor and what i say is i say on behalf of the church i need to ask for your forgiveness that was wrong what we took from you and what people feel like they're losing is i lost the opportunity to explore yeah and i'm with this person and now i'm going Is this really who I would have chosen? And I don't know this is the person I would have chosen. And I'm like, I know. And that's scary. And we have to look at that. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But I don't believe God wants you to live half alive in order to honor something that was done in a place of ignorance and also innocence. Yeah. And I think what the purity movement has done more than anything is it robbed people of being able to experience the innocence of exploration. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. Gene Jam was composed and produced by Latifa Alakas, and other music from this episode is from the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. In purity culture, there's this rule that you don't give your body away. So you try to have an emotional connection, and then... When you move beyond purity culture and you say, I'm going to go there. I'm going to give. I'm, I'm going to do the physical thing. What I'm hearing from you, Ashley, that sounds so profound is there is a remembering that needs to happen about what even, how do I even locate what I'm really desiring and searching for? Mm-hmm.